Welcome to Leadership, the Future, and Tea, featuring our special guests, hosted by Andy Davis and N. Moffitt, a podcast for people who are passionate about making a difference at work. Welcome, everybody, to Leadership, the Future, and Tea. Uh, it's my great pleasure today to uh, introduce Mark Samuel uh, from PayAsia. Mark, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Despite being in lockdown Victoria, really well, thank you. Uh, Listen, it's great, great to have, to have you on board, and, and Ian Moffat's with me as well. Um, we're, we're super delighted to have you here. And uh, Mark, just for our listeners, I've got a few words of wisdom about your background, okay? So uh, hold your blushes on this one. Mark is the Chief Executive Officer and Managing Director of the ASX-listed Pay Group Limited. He was previously the Group Chief Executive Officer of Singapore Stock Exchange-listed Vicplus International, along with being the Managing Director of Forefront Medical Technology. He is the past advisor to the Jiangsu Wujin Economic Zone in Changzhou and has 26 years experience of global leadership with a specific focus in Asia. His expertise includes business success and turnarounds, strategic business development, acquisitions, divestitures, strategy development and execution. Mark, what a list. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, Andy and Ian. And if you, if you could see me blushing, I am, but the beard's hiding it. <laughs> that's fantastic. Listen, <laughs> that's you. it. You are a true global leader, Mark. We are delighted to have you with us. And um, as we were just talking before we actually pressed record, uh, our aim is to um, get some of your expertise and share it with our listeners. And that's it. That's our simple aim. Andy and Ian, very kind of you both. And thank you very much for the lovely introduction and looking forward to spending some time with yourself and and your podcast listeners today. Yeah, we can't wait. They're, they're going to be really excited Thanks. by this. Um, Ian, we've got you on board as well. Um, we're, we're going to uh, have a great conversation with Sam, uh, with Mark now, aren't we? We are indeed, and it's great. It's great to see. We haven't caught up for a little while, and we, do, we used to on a regular basis. We're living weird times, but it's it's yeah. great to have you on the podcast and to, and to have you on video today, Mark, as well. And listen, you're rocking the beard, mate. Looks yeah. great. <laughs> it's a great beard. We'll, we'll it's part we'll of our leadership story, isn't there it? You go. It <laughs> is. It is. Story. We'll come back to that. Um, well, let's start though. Then, in that case. Um, Mark, tell everybody about uh, who's your leadership role model and why. My leadership role model would uh, no doubt be one of Pay Group's shareholders and prominent Australian businessman, uh, Mr. Philip Cave. Uh, Philip was instrumental in assisting myself with a group of others to uh, really do a massive turnaround in the payroll and HR space in the late 1990s. Um, I was involved in that in, in a sales leadership capacity mm-hmm. and the expansion into, uh, into Asia and my experience to come to Asia was really formulated. So, um, Mr. Phil Cave, if you're listening, I hope you will be. Uh, thank you very much, sir. You've been a great um, mentor and, and business advocate and supporter of mine for over 20 years now. What, what a fantastic um, just recognition there for Phil Cave. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to reach out to Phil afterwards and see if we can connect as well. Yeah, excellent. And, and uh, you know, we meet amazing leaders like that throughout our careers, Mark. And, uh, you know, as I say, you, you are a global um, HR leader, global sales leader and a global leader of a, of a huge growing company. You must know what are the three traits that you look for in leaders? Well, a- absolutely, Andy and Ian. And I think that there's some of the things that I've very much focused and learnt on um, from my experience of working with Phil. So I would have to say, without doubt, it really is for me and foremostly about passion. So if I can feel that passion, if I'm 
recruiting somebody, if I understand what they've achieved within the businesses that you know we have at Pay Group, mm-hmm. then that's the first and foremost thing. That even if it's unbridled passion, um, yeah. it's something that really resonates very well on, on myself because often in my early days as being a salesperson, you know, I had my heart on my sleeve very often, championing the cause, and that's something that makes me feel terrifically uh, connected to somebody. Thereafter, it's really your ability to apply yourself to be able to complete and finish something. So you've got the passion piece, but you must have those skills with which to be able to complete and finish whatever it may be in life that you want to do, combined overall with a level of understanding that this is your job to do. So Mm. the accountability attribute is very high. Passion, the ability to complete and finish, with yeah. a high level of accountability, self-accountability. Yeah, sure, um, yeah. Are the, are the really big things that, you know, I look forward to um, finding in my in my organisation with people or finding outside should they want to come come to join us in pay group. Amazing, amazing. Do you find that those have changed over the years, Mark? No, no, not at all. Um, interesting, interesting. It, it was something that I've always been... Um, coached upon um, Mm. definitely by Phil and other leaders that if you've got the accountability matrix with inside of you and if you've got the ability to complete and finish uh, capabilities with yourself and importantly you've got the passion then realistically we can train anybody in whatever specific business requirements they may may need to succeed so um, we're not sending people to the moon at pay group. We don't need aeronautical engineers to send people that distance. Sure. But the passion every day and being able to communicate that passion effectively and concisely really helps with that. So I, I don't believe that it's changed over the years. It's been something I've always been strongly drawn to. Just just on that kind of follow-on question, do you, do you think um... – the education system in general. Do you think it's it's kind of nurturing more of that, bringing that to the fore with the people that it's uh, you know, it's um, putting through the system? Have you seen a change in the quality of the candidates coming through? It's that's that's a very interesting question when we talk about diverse regions that Pay Group operates in and where I've had experience in. So whether you speak specifically about the Australian market where. I've been living and operating now um, from Singapore for the last 16 years. I'm not as OFA, so the Australian accent, you know, belies where my experience set has been. Yeah. Um, definitely, definitely you can see that aspirational pas- passion emanating from graduates and also business leaders in India. In Singapore, the complete finish skills and the ability to understand and contextualise a problem and apply it to a Southeast Asian footprint because of the cultural undertones, second to none. Unbelievable. And then when you look at a country like China, where you're looking for that driven focus, the Mm -hmm. unbelievable, never moving out of step attitude to work through something, they've been some of the areas. But no education system in one country is perfect. Um, No school is certainly perfect. So that broadness of experience, that broadness of education, and who were your first couple of uh, bosses as you exited school at whatever level is very important to me. Um, And you mentioned earlier um, some of the things in my experience base. So, for instance, in the medical devices um, Mm. business that I ran, 
very much focused not so much on the high-end university graduates, but absolutely looking for skills and, and talent that was coming out of the polytechnic area yeah. as an yeah. example. Yeah, and no, so I get that completely, yeah. I, I was never attracting anybody from Harvard there, yeah. but, you know, out of the great Singapore polytechnic schools, yeah. you know, attracting some wonderful talent that was capable. Oh, there's incredible talent. There's, there's incredible talent um, that, that you just need to tap into, and that's part of the art, isn't it? is actually going out and finding those people and uh, probably actually helping them realise that they are talented individuals and just need to give them a chance. And, and mm. I think if you can do that, then uh, I, I've, I've certainly been given those chances in my career. And uh, yeah, it's it's phenomenal. And you get a choice, don't you? You either take it or you kind of leave it and let it go by. And uh, there right. you go. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and, and what you're talking about there, Mark, in terms of that challenge of whether the educational system is producing the, those right people and where those people have had those first jobs. It does cause concern for later down the line, right, in careers. Um, but, and I know that, as I say, you're incredibly linked with a vast array of leadership uh, teams across Southeast Asia and further on. So I want to just tap into that and ask you, what are the main factors that are the cause and concern for those C-suite execs at the moment? You've asked me this at the perfect time because, you know, we can't walk away from COVID-19, can we? The, no. the impacts of what COVID-19 is doing personally within your own um, businesses, and mm. we've all got personal stories um, yep. about those today um, that, are, that are extremely troubling, all the way through the disconnectedness of working completely remotely um, has, has have its absolute challenges. Where we, where we are hearing from Paygroup's perspective is that the absolute lack of preparedness from many organisations mm -hmm. about digitising themselves and their yep. ability to conceptualise a project of how to do that in the most important pieces. Yep. And I know in your business as well that um, with the massive changes, particularly in the UK, around furlough leave and other sorts of things, we had that compounded 33 times in the regions that we operated in. So that constant communication and drive of what, what yeah. we can do and how we can achieve it. So what I'm hearing is, is this digitization uh, opportunity real for me? Will I make it happen? Yeah. How am I failing? How am I succeeding? Is pervading every conversation at the C-suite level. Well, I'm just going to pick up on the, the you mentioned um, about payroll and things like that. So I'm just going to pick up on that yeah. because let, let's just reflect on that. Uh, I'm going to tell the story about people getting themselves into hot water with COVID because they've realised that actually if they haven't got an outsourced payroll, if they've not got it on cloud and actually they need to physically mm -hmm. get into the office to put their mm -hmm. hands on a server and run payroll, all of a sudden they've got a huge problem. So, uh, and we'll come on to it later and you can tell us a bit more about what your firm does, Mark. But um, sure. but yeah, we, we, we've seen that. We've, we, me and Ian have talked about it um, and I know that that has been problems for people uh, across the UK. There's a dawn of realisation about that digitalisation project. And this the other thing that's, sorry, sorry, and the other thing that's challenging, the real challenge is understanding by geography, whether it be Europe, America, mm -hmm. Southeast Asia, North Asia, there is such governmental protocols that are immensely dif different. Yes. So in, in, in Australia, we've got none of the states that are open. Our borders between two states have just opened today. That's it. Yet we see and hear about people in Europe freely travelling for business, operating and executing yep. 
um, realistically like there was no real difference. And of course, we see our friends in the United States of America operating as well differently. So we've, some business leaders are really struggling to understand Correct. as they talk, discuss to me, where where will these protocols actually affect me and how will they ongoingly uh, impact my business, positive and negative? Apologies, Ian. No, 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 it's absolutely, absolutely spot on. It is, And, yep. and it, it just makes that navigation, if you're, if you're a leader of global business, um, you know, navigating that is just another set of complexity, right? Because, because we, we, you know, we, uh, you, you work in the payroll world, so do we. It's, it's already an incredibly complex environment navigating that, the legislations in countries, sub-regions of countries, uh, sectors of countries. Um, no, I was just thinking that the, a common theme we get is that um, COVID's a terrible thing. It, we will all accept that, but it's actually, it's been a catalyst in some ways to force people into, into you know, people have talked pre-COVID about the future of work and it has been that comfort that it's in the future. And it's kind of driven an agenda that was 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 gathering momentum anyway to actually say, well, we do need to rationalise, we do need to have some simplification, we absolutely need to get on that journey of digitization. And I think it was a really, really good point you, you made at the start of this was the, um, you know, a lot of people don't even know how to start. Yeah, how to start. On how to start. Yeah. Take that first steps. No, very interesting. And when we, with your business and with our business, when we understand how we can start organisations and importantly give them an ROI within a specified time, not necessarily for the whole transformational journey, but the key aspects of it, that's the start. And to be able to encourage people to step over that boundary. So if you have a span of control for one country, do it. If you've got two, three, four, five countries, stage it. Um, but to avoid it and to say um, mm. in the colloquial Australian parlance, she'll be right, it's <laughs> not going to be. I haven't heard well, that. Mark, <laughs> Mark, you're talking right out of our playbook there because we, we advise people all the time in terms of their digitalization mm -hmm. journey. Uh, phasing of, of any journey is a fantastic thing to do. Uh, it, in, mm -hmm. it, it encourages learning upon learning um, from the previous phase. And starting off with that little pilot group, even just the 10 or 20 people, just to get the initial gremlins done, the initial questions and the confidence within those people that are going to roll it out across those phases. Um, anything that you can do along those lines really helps that digitalization journey. But you're quite right that just pushing it to one side. I think that, again, we, we've seen with various reports that people have now been bitten by not going down the digitalization journey pre-COVID. So, uh, so there are Correct. challenges there, yeah. Correct. Um, address what you can address, because if you had a big bang strategy global prior to this, again, that's not going to work in these times yeah. either. So precisely, Andy, you know, yeah. segment it off digestible chunks and make sure that you succeed all the way along and ensure that whichever vendor that you choose or partner or uh, to, to do this for you has yeah. the resources to do both that digitization piece but if you need it, service as well, which um, I think is that the dual-edged sword is yeah. where weight strategy will win. Yeah, lovely. Ian, I'm going to let you ask uh, the next one, please. Yeah, it's a bit of an expansive question. This I'm, so, I'm sorry in advance, Mark, but, you know, you have led uh, businesses in your career history. We've had, we've had many economic downturns and they've all had a different signature, haven't they? Um, yes. 
what would be your advice to sort of distill down your insights for, for leaders? Because a lot of people, you know, are in a leadership position feeling overwhelmed by what's occurring with COVID-19. So what would you be your advice to them? I think feeling overwhelmed is the absolute correct feeling that you should be feeling. So there's don't hide it. Don't do anything else but seek the best mentorship advice that you can in that overwhelmed state. Because let's particularly in Southeast Asia, in February, March, April was overwhelming. Mm. Governments making rash decisions on changing protocols, changing legislation, um, all the things that we experienced was absolutely overwhelming. And I congratulate everybody listening to, to this podcast that if you went through that and you came out of the other side, you know, relatively sane, congratulations to you. <laughs> um, but the overwhelming feeling is a natural one and it shouldn't it shouldn't be hit under hit under the carpet. And uh, Australia had our UOK day last last week. So, you know, check in with your friends, check in with your family, but most importantly, check in with your, your business leaders and your mentorship group to just to make sure that you're tracking along okay with that overwhelming feeling. However, we're a little bit more blessed in Asia than probably some other parts of the world. One thing about Asian economies, particularly the emerging Asian economies, is that we can bounce back very well. And when I was speaking to our investors about COVID-19 and absolutely understanding the impacts, I also reminded ourselves that in Asia, we've gone through some significant events as well. And there's no doubt there was 2008, which we all suffered um, for the financial crisis. But then we've had MENA, we've had bird flu, mm. we've had SARS. So I calculated over the last 12 years, there's been some micro or mm -hmm. macro Asian mm -hmm. event um, every 18 months. Wow. Grief, that is, yeah. When you, when you think about it that way, yeah. then the resilience, despite all of that, and this is the big story and the exciting story for everybody, despite all of that, Asia has really been able to rebound every single time. Yeah. So if you have a strategy that says Asia first, I would congratulate you because the resilience there, get your supply chain moving, yeah. understand where your people are, understand how those they're, they're being organised and structured and managed, um, how their processes are being digitised. But Asia is very resilient and we will, in different economies, bounce back over different times. And we hope that India gets their COVID numbers mm. under control soonish. But they are a very resilient nation. Nation and Vietnam did a brilliant job. Yeah, yeah, brilliant job. Yeah, Taiwan, yeah. Um, Korea. Um, yeah. So that th that resilience piece and that Asia bouncing back because there's been uh, such a significant number of them. Certainly not of this scale, mm. but a number of them. You know, all goes well, I believe, for um, Greater Asia rebounding really well. Yeah, yeah it's interesting that, that you mentioned uh, Vietnam there. Um, I've got a, a friend over in Vietnam and I uh, spoke to him uh, probably about six or eight weeks ago. And it was incredible, actually, what he was telling me about how how little they'd been impacted, actually, in terms of mm. the, the the work that they'd done, obviously, right? It didn't happen by fluke. Um, the, the incredible work and everything else. It, but yeah, what he was describing at the time was the opposite to what I was experiencing uh, here in the UK. So uh, yeah, it was incredible for Vietnam. Um, and thank you for, for some amazing advice there. I love the fact that you're that you very clearly telling leaders that you're absolutely right to be overwhelmed, feeling yeah. overwhelmed, but actually it's about now how you take action about it. Um, yes. and, and you mentioned that mentoring, and uh, we don't hear that enough on here, Mark. That's really interesting. 
Yeah, mm. we don't. And you mentioned about Philip Cave and about you know that mentorship that he's given you. And uh, it's an interesting one that it, it feels that that's not a thing. That's not a daily thing that people have. Well, one of the challenges that I had as a business leader in Asia when Pay Asia was private was mm. the fact that if I turned right or I turned left or I looked in front, it was only me. Right. So I had a great compulsion um, by taking a um, Pay Asia public on the yep. Australian Stock Exchange of formulating a board that mm. when I looked right or when I looked left or yeah. when I when I turned a full circle around, I had that um, business leader experience in my board surrounding me. Perfect. So Ian Basser, who'd run a multi-billion dollar workforce management company, Frank Niron Bansell, mm. ex-ADP, $1.5 billion of global experience, who you both know. Yep, David do. Fagan, one of the best corporate lawyers, you know, was the managing partner of of one of our largest um, law firms in Australia. So so now I'm not lonely. Yeah, so a sure. key message to leaders, whether you're emerging, whether you're an entrepreneur within an organisation, mm-hmm. whether you're an entrepreneur, besides cash, yeah. <laughs> is please surround yourselves with the right people with which to be able to do that. And we're lucky today, as opposed in, into the 80s or the 90s, where this type of technology never existed, and we had to make sure they were on the other end of the phone. We couldn't see yeah. each other. We yeah. couldn't interact and we couldn't feel what the other person was feeling. So yeah. please surround yourself with the right people. But if they're not the right person, make a decision to move on to the next mentor or peer because everybody may appear to be right to begin with, but over some time you will recognise that there could be some stifling efforts or not the right attention. So be a bit clinical in your assessment of your choice of mentor uh, and um, business associate. Yeah, that's yeah. fantastic advice. That is great advice. That is that is golden. Thank you for that. Um, I hope that people are listening to that one. I'm going to take it down a couple of notches now, I'm afraid, because uh, I know that you operate in multiple different countries. You just mentioned Frank. Fra- Frank's out in America. You're sat in Melbourne. Um, I've been to your beautiful offices in Singapore, and we've just talked uh, at the start of this about you coming back from your offices in India. And I, again, I've had the great pleasure to speak to some of your colleagues uh, in the India office, how how would you do it? How would you run an international company with multiple time zones in different con- uh, cultures? Culture first. Yep. So my absolute belief, and this has been with us for a long time, um, is example by Malaysia. So starting Pay Asia in Singapore, one would naturally think the next best step was to go to Malaysia. Mm. Well, in actual fact, uh, Lawrence um, Pushpam, the co-founder yep. of PayAsia, Andy and Ian, who you both know, we Wonderful waited. Yep. <laughs> thank you. We waited for six years before we started Malaysia because we didn't find the cultural connected leader for Malaysia until six years into our journey. Amazing. In fact, seven. Beg your pardon. Seven. So once that happened, and we we're able to instill that uh, leadership position in then we press the button on Malaysia. And from our perspective, it was always all about customers and clients first and their experience. So whether they be, uh, we treat prospects like customers. Mm -hmm. So that experience is very important to us and how they could reflect the values and the purpose of what we were doing at PayAsia to a new set of 
prospects and clients, and that was great. And as a result of that, um, Malaysia spawned to be a fantastic um, opportunity for us, both from new business, but also an outstanding implementation and uh, operations hub for us, for the group. So it's always been about who is our next leader and localising that leader up front. So we've not expatriated any Australian into Vietnam or Vietnamese into India or anything yeah. else like that. It's making yeah. sure that the culture for that group of people, the next set of leaders in our business is all localised. Well, <clears throat> sorry, I couldn't quite get off mute there fast enough. I was coughing. That's that's <laughs> astounding to hear. And uh, I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm going to do this publicly. I get to work with your team on a on a I don't know daily weekly basis, and I want to, I want to just shout out to them if that's okay, and say right. I work with Chris Brunton, I work with Gaclian, with Millie, with Timothy, um, with Len as well. Yes. My goodness, I hope I've not missed anybody off now. That's terrible. Yeah. Um, but I, I want you to know though uh, that they're fantastic people. That they truly are. And, and you know, what's really interesting <clears throat> is that you've not mentioned time zones because actually it's not about that. It's about culture mm. and the culture that I that I see and experience from your people is one of absolute what you've talked about already. Those traits, that passion, that absolute passion mm. in every single one of them. Um, and, and it just shines through, Mark. So I just want to reflect on that and just say that, that you guys are nailing Thank it. You. Thank you very much. Yeah. And um, I'll. I just wanted to follow on on that that timepiece though, because it's, it's it's one close to my heart working predominantly at the moment in the UK, Amir mm -hmm. and and uh, the US. How do you what strategies do you use to protect your time? Because that's that it's it's easy to do, you know, an eighteen hour a day to cover those those territories, isn't it? So that goes back to um, what I was saying before about the, who the people are that surround you. Mm. So I can with a billion percent confidence hand off to Frank. Yeah. And because Frank's either in the US yeah. and or Europe, then that works beautifully for us. Yeah. In fact, having Frank as a part of the team and actually not my boss, which he should be with his domain experience and seniority, <laughs> I'm very blessed to have somebody like that on my executive team. Now, by the way, that took me 20 years to organise. So yeah. to the leaders there, don't be in a rush about selecting somebody, wait, 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 and the and the right time will come. So marathon. Um, so that, <laughs> correct, correct. And if you've got a sustainable business model and cash is at your forefront and both of our businesses are repetitive revenue businesses mm -hmm. and clients, um, people first from your side, clients yep. are very much focused on um, that ongoing quality of delivery, and you've got the repetitive revenue model, then you will have the opportunity to wait. So firstly, when we were just Southeast Asian and very small, it became very simple. But as you grew in complexity with new, more jurisdictions, it became quite difficult. So absolutely surrounding the people. So I have Sachin Goklani, who works out of Sydney, myself typically, unless I'm in lo lockdown <laughs> Melbourne, um, working out of Singapore, and then Frank working at the other time zone, whether it be America or, or Europe. So from a leadership piece and working with partners such as yourself or customers or prospects, then we've we've got that covered. And um, we also have a business development function out of France that with a very senior leader, Nicolas Amey, that allows mm. us to hand yep. over um, processes and, and things from time to time. So it's working well. 
but the passion in in me, Ian, means that if the team in India need me on a call at 11 p.m. <laughs> and the agenda is preset yeah. and they have accountability on that agenda, then I'll be on the call. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. Yeah, totally get them. So there, yeah. there, there is no choice. So yeah, and we try our best to let time, time zone work for us as well. So the, one of the things about time, and then I'll just finish on this one, um, is that I've learned the hard way that I don't start work in a time zone such as Australia, which has five and a half hours difference to India, and start belting away emails and message requests and sharing things on SharePoint. Um, so that when a leader or a team member arrives in India to their day and they see 47,000 messages from Mark, that's not a great way to start your day. You should be starting your day with a g'day, a cup of tea and a samosa, really. Sure. Because sure. that's what the way the day should start. So if I choose to work on the weekends, which is my choice, yeah. I time all my messages to go at 8.45 a.m. on a Monday, depending upon the time zone. So that's yes. something that I'm trying to get better with, particularly over the last three or four years, to respect other people's time. Well, that's a, that's a lesson in leadership and technology right there for people. Just go and find that delay button for the, uh, the timing of your emails. Uh, and when you find it, it's a powerful thing, let me tell you. Um, I love that. So I'm going to go back to uh, Frank that you mentioned. Frank's an amazing guy. I totally get the fact that you, you can hand stuff to Frank and leave it with him. He's a fantastic guy to work with. Again, I endorse that. Um, and you said that you waited 20 years to get hold of the right man. That, that right there is a lesson for people, okay? But we've got to ask then, how do you do that in your network? Is that a case of actively building your network? Is it just a passive thing that you meet who you meet and that's it? How do you do it? I am a relentless networker. Um, I enjoy the interaction. I enjoy meeting the people. And whilst it's very stifled under these COVID times, we do have tools such we're on today, Microsoft Teams. Um, LinkedIn, obviously, is a very important part of what I do um, in terms of meeting people. I, I also recognise that networking in itself can't do it all. So um, we, we, we pay for events, we attend webinars and, and, yeah. uh, and other items like that, where you get to meet other industry leaders as well. And that's, that's been a very big part of what we do. But knowing in my circle, as it's expanded, who the right people are to come into your organisation in a external succession plan as yep. well as an internal succession plan is absolutely mandatory. And you mentioned Chris Brunton before. Yeah. I always um, wanted Chris to be able to work with PayAsia and now PayGroup, but it also took me some time before it was right. But he was always available for a chat. He was always available yeah. for a cup yeah. of coffee. He was always available to have a, a lunch with and just talk shop as well as talk as friends. Um, even well before the, the opportunity for him to join the group was. And that was absolutely the same case with Frank when he was retiring from ADP and, mm -hmm. uh, as I say, went on his world tour to say <laughs> goodbye to people. Um, I put him in a headlock and made him stay in Singapore for <laughs> extra time to talk about... <laughs> you know, good for your Mark as well. He's, he's a top... Your, your team's fantastic. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I'm very blessed to do that. But, however, I'm sure they would say that the ongoing discipline of keeping connected, 
you know, reaching out from a mentorship perspective, double checking is very mm. important. And it not only goes to people like the Franks and the others, but, you know, I'm checking in and addressing behaviour, culture, language with my 20-year-old who's doing a double major in gender studies and global politics. Wow. So I, I like yourselves, because I've been to your offices and I've seen, you know, the makeup of, of your teams there as well. Um, I need to also under, understand and address and recognise the diversity that you have in cultures and people, but within business units as well, and how to address and change my language over time. And, you know, we all worked in the 80s and 90s and some of the things that came out of your mouth, you'd like to hit yourself over with a head with a bat now. Um, but that constant involvement and understand how language is so impactful is important to me. Yeah, hang on. Keeping it all relevant, isn't it, at the end of the day? It is. And, and having a mentor that could be 25 as mm. well as 65. You know, yeah. don't walk away from that obvious, can you help me? Yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, from a 25-year-old or a 20-year-old. That's so interesting to hear, though, isn't it, Andy? Well, well, it is, and uh, I've said this um, a lot of times before, uh, Mark, that my kids are 21 and um, 18, and let me tell you that uh, I go and sit there and I go and ask them questions at times. Mm -hmm. I go and ask them questions about what they think you know, about our, our industry, about mm -hmm. what do they think about a payslip. What does a payslip actually mean to you? You know, mm -hmm. and, and I kind of sit there asking them some stupid questions at times, and quite honestly, it's free research from you know yeah. people that are ridiculously younger than me, and that otherwise we I probably wouldn't get to ha you know hear those answers. So uh, yeah, I I agree with you that it doesn't matter whether somebody's sixty five or twenty five, you can still learn from them. If if you've got a a penchant to say that I am a purpose driven organisation, mm. and if you woke up one morning and decided to start espousing that, so you have an element of woke washing about your organisation the 25 to 30 year olds will catch you out in one second. Yeah. So, you know, if you are setting out to be a purpose-driven organisation, build that from the ground up with the right people advising yeah. and consulting on that basis. So yeah. from our perspective, it's, and yours, mm. we never, we, we are horrified if a pay slip is wrong. Yeah. So in our investor presentations, we take our investors back to that moment in time. Yeah. Have you ever had a payslip that's been incorrect? Did you ever have a frustrating relationship because your pension fund wasn't paid correct or wasn't moved there? Mm. How did that make you feel, you know, yeah. inside of you? And we can do all these beautiful things um, as, as leaders in a business every day, but just get somebody's payslip wrong once and see how well that goes for you. Yeah, yeah it's a, it's an interesting discussion, that. And, um, yeah, yeah, it doesn't go well. And people, that's the stuff that people remember. Uh, um, Mark, we, we're getting towards the, the end of our time, um, but one of the, the key questions I really want you to answer, and I think you've already answered some of this, is about what's your leadership legacy going to be? That's very clear for me because um, PayAsia was a private family company that we've listed on the stock exchange. And the biggest challenge that I saw was that if I remained the boss, the mm -hmm. major shareholder, um, the checkbook, um, that I would stop the next level and the level below in the hierarchy saying, how can I get Mark's job? Yeah. How can I ever do that if this is going to be a long-term um, 
organisation that is family driven. So my choice, my choice was to say, I'm going to commercialise the business, I'm going to make it public so that everybody saw that this just wasn't about myself and my family. And it's a very, it's a very interesting point that you brought up and it's very emotional for me too because at the IPO um, dinner where we had all the advisors and you yeah. know, key leaders from around the world in Melbourne, Australia, and I, I turned to my three daughters and I said, I've actually done this for you because I've seen all family companies that um, actually put people into a type of jail and yeah, there's no yeah. escape for them to broaden. Yeah. So this was about myself and my generation saying that I wanted to do this. So my leadership legacy is that I got out of the way. I got out of the way. I listed the company. We have a board. We have um, 590 shareholders. Uh, you've got global experience. You've got partnerships in place. It's gone beyond what Lawrence and I dreamed about under a pub in Singapore on Balmoral Road, having a cold couple of cold beers. Very dangerous when you drink beer. Um, so that that's my my leadership legacy is to say to everybody, I've purposely got out of the way. To that's let you shine. incredible, though. So many yeah. business stories are, are around that inability of the founding leader to see that so that's incredible what you've done yeah i i think that's um again that's a that's a that's another discussion right there in terms of what that actually means and uh, i can picture that scene sat around that table so uh, that's really powerful that is that's really powerful um so uh, i'm going to bring it right back down to earth now and say yeah uh, <laughs> move it, it, amazing emotional point there. I can completely get why that why that's a moment for you and probably one that you'll never forget in your life. I want to come back to what you want to leave our listeners with, though. Um, we always give uh, leaders like yourself, Mark, the opportunity to leave people with resources. And for everybody, whether that's resources of your website, of uh, maybe just we can post your LinkedIn um, uh, URL so people can get in contact. Just what is it, Mark, that you want to tell us about to leave people with? So firstly, um, outstanding, please um, uh, take my thanks to yourselves for taking this initiative but, and leadership in itself to interview different people from around the world and encourage different viewpoints. And they may be diverse and different, but please thank you from my side for inviting me. I feel extremely humbled. Um, yes, my LinkedIn profile is extremely active and, and do share that. And we would be delighted if we could help anybody, as you know, how to contact us at at payasia.asia. The, the final thing I'll say is that if you want to be a leader, you don't necessarily have to start up your own business to be a leader. Consider entrepreneurship within a business. Yeah. Um, you can be a leader within a, and run your own business unit in a multi-billion dollar, dollar company. But if you really do want to start up your own business, which many are, and I encourage that wholesomely because you learn a lot of experiences, Make sure you surround yourself with the right people, the right business proposition, and flat out, the number one thing, cash is king. There you go. Yeah. Well, I, I've got nothing more to say on that. Um, thank you, Mark. Uh, thank, thank you for your you. contribution. Uh, that's been a, a masterclass in global leadership, and um, we're really grateful for you attending. Oh, so, thank you so much. Yeah, th th thanks again. Um, well, everybody, that's Leadership, the Future and Tea, or fantastic guest today has been Mark Samuel from uh, Pay Group 
uh, we're going to post all of the links to for Mark for his company at the bottom of the show notes. Please do go and look at those. Please do uh, reach out to Mark and connect and uh, fully recommend that if anybody wants to reach out to them with a view to working together, they're a fantastic, passionate team. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership, the Future, and Team. Please take time to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also leave us a comment with topics you would like to hear in the upcoming episodes. Thank you.